not okay. You know, Jesus never intended for those who follow him to be just followers of Jesus Christ. To be just okay is not okay. We've, we've been saved, Scripture tells us, for us to be all in. And as we're all in, then we live all out for Jesus Christ. And that's we're going to be sitting for the next several weeks talking about this idea of being all in, all out. And as we kick off the Tiffin campus um, here in the next couple weeks. And just a clarification on the 8th, we'll meet here for our service, and then we'll all jump in cars, motorcycles. I think the Keller said they can pack about six people on your bike. Does that work? Okay, good. Um, so they're good, you know, Mark will do that. He's got several sidecars and trailers. It, it's really kind of an awesome looking machine. But anyways, we'll head down to Fremont, and uh, they'll be serving about 1230. So we'll get there right in time, and then we'll push and shove and get to where we need to be. Um, just follow me, people. <laughs> I'm going in. And uh, just follow me. So what is a life that is being, that's all in and living all out? What's that look like? Is every Christian supposed to be all in all, or all, yep, and all out? Or is it maybe just for a few special Christians, like kind of like the, the 12 apostles? You know, they're, they're supposed to be all in and living all out. Or someone like, you know, Martin Luther from years gone by. You know, he was all in and went up against the Catholic Church even. Or maybe someone like Billy Graham, you know, more in our day, where he was, he's all in. And, but that's, that's for them. That's a, there's a special group of Christians. Which is it? Is it, is it for everybody? Are the apostles the exception to the rule? Or are they the rule? We're going to learn about that. We're going to talk specifically out of Luke 14 today. So go ahead and turn there. If you're using the Bible there in the, in the seats, it's page 1042. And we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 35. And as you're turning, let me just give you a little bit of backstory. <clears throat> Jesus has just got done telling a parable. And the parable, the main point of it is basically this, that those who are Jesus' servants, those that are Jesus' followers, were to go out into the highways and byways of their world and tell people, come follow Jesus. That's what his, those who follow him are supposed to do. He had already invited some others. They decided not to show up. and that's, He's talking about the Jewish nation back in the first century. He, he's already invited them. And by and large, they chose not to show up. And so now he's saying, go get whoever. Go out into the alleys, go out into the streets, go knock door to door, whatever. Get everybody and encourage them to follow me. Verse 25 shows us, tells us from Luke that there are a bunch of people following Jesus now. He's got gobs of people following him around wherever he goes. And so, they are all following for different reasons, like many today. that They like Jesus, they think he's a great guy, and back then he was healing people, raising people from the dead, 
I mean, this guy was worth hanging around because if you ever got a cold, you know, you could go, oh, hey, hey, Jesus, <laughs> can, you, can you heal me? Oh, it's gone. Thank you very much. And go your way. I mean, it was like having your own little med case right there helping you out. And so people back then were following him for different reasons. People today follow him for different reasons or say they do. And so what Jesus does is that Jesus takes the opportunity, and he got kind of, if you have a cartoon mind, you have a movie mind, this is where you need to kind of engage that. Picture somebody who has hundreds of people literally following him, because they didn't have cars, you know, so they literally walked with him. And, and then, and so he's got this mass of people as he's moving along, talking to the disciples, talking to some other people, you know, they're kind of coming around him, kind of a paparazzi, you know, and they're all kind of talking, he's talking, and, and then he stops, and he turns around to the masses. And what he's going to do, he's going to clarify what he meant when he said, go out and find anybody you can and invite them to join me. Invite them to follow me. Because he doesn't want people just following him. He wants people who are going to be all in on following him. And so he's going to clarify what he means when he says, follow me. And that's what chapter 14, 25 through 35. And so I want you to think, who is he talking to here? Okay? So is he talking to everyone? I'll give you a little hint. Is he talking to everyone? Or is he talking to a specific group of people who are already followers? All right? So this is what he has to say. Now, large crowds were gathering along with him, and he turned and he said to them. So, you know, when we think about people following us, we typically want to, you know, win friends and influence people, right? So politicians have a, hundred, you know, a bunch of people following them. What are they going to do? Okay, all these people want to hear me say this, and so then they're going to say it. They don't really believe necessarily what they're saying. They're going to say what the people want. Jesus is not a politician. He would have been terrible as a politician. Um, he says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down, calculate the cost, to see if he has enough to complete it? <laughs> That's me, by the way. <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs> I get into a house project, and I'm like, yeah! And I'm like, Kim, okay, we need some more money. She's like, we got nothing. So then we're walking around on plywood for a year, you know. Um, anyways, so he, who does that? Well, I do it. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So you people who have come over, and you've taken your shoes off, and you've gotten splinters in your feet because you've been walking around our house, you're looking at me going, what is with this guy? Or actually, what's with Kim? <laughs> to allow him to do this. You know, or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down, consider whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his possessions. 
He says this three times, which in Jewish thinking, when you say something three times, you better listen to it. This is important information. Therefore, salt is good. So it's kind of like, what? Where is he going with this? Well, we'll explain. Therefore, salt is good, but even if even salt has become tasteless, with what will, be se- with what will it be seasoned? Back in the, old te- or back in the first century, they, they didn't have clean salt like we have today. So their salt would actually go bad. Ours kind of just lives on and on, kind of like a Twinkie in a store. It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. <laughs> so you can't use it to, for the soil. You can't even put it in the manure pile. It's useless. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, who is he talking to? Is he talking to anybody who comes to him? Or is he talking to a select group of people who have come to him? What do you think? All. Anybody want to say no? It's not all, it's just the disciples? We want to venture out onto that limb? <laughs> Cut off that limb? No, he's talking about anyone who comes. Anyone who comes to Jesus. Jesus is talking to the crowd. He turns to the crowd. He's not just talking to his disciples or a few of the other people who have been hanging out with him. Saying, hey, here's a, here's a deeper level of Christianity that you may want to consider. He's talking to everyone who comes to him. The, the phrase comes to him is, it, it means to make a movement towards. So any, and, and I know it sounds kind of, well, yeah, obviously, but think about it. Anybody who makes a movement towards Jesus to, to make a choice to follow Jesus, you're doing something very special, very specific, all-encompassing in your life. So anybody who makes a choice to enter a relationship with Jesus is his disciple or his apprentice. Because that's what a disciple really means. A disciple is one who follows. It's one who attaches themselves to a teacher. It's an apprentice. So we think about it in our day. It's an apprentice who learns by watching and doing. And in our day, even apprentice doesn't really work well because when we think of apprentice, we think of apprentice schools. And so... You have a bunch of different teachers teaching a bunch of different things about the, you know, I was a, a carpenter apprentice, and so we learned stuff from concrete, um, you know, stuff to trim stuff, and each was a different teacher, you know. In this case, this is a disciple who follows a teacher, follows one person. So a follower of Jesus Christ is watching, is learning, and is doing whatever it was his teacher, in this case, Jesus Christ, is doing. And so we talked about this last week. We used this, and again, I think this is a, a very good summary of what Jesus' life is all about. That if we're supposed to follow Jesus, and this should be what our mission should be about, our life purpose. One who glorifies God through an obedient life that draws people to God for salvation and prepare them to share Him. And all that, of course, we're growing in our faith. We're understanding who God is. But it's one who glorifies God, who wants to shine a spotlight, as we've been talking about, on who God is through how we live our lives obediently. Not through how we want to live our lives, but through how God wants us to live our lives that then causes our life to be that spotlight 
And in doing that, we draw people to Christ, to Him for salvation, and then we help them grow and develop so they then want to share their faith with others. That's what Jesus did, and He did the ultimate hard thing of obeying to the cross. He's not referring to a special group of super spiritual or people who go like, hey, you know, Christianity, that's pretty cool, but I want to go a little bit more. So Jesus is not talking about having different levels of Christianity. So this is kind of how it plays out. And, and uh, you know, I've been in church. I was born you know, on Saturday in church on Sunday. I mean, I was, I've been in church since I was a little kid. Literally born almost into a church. It's not like leveling up in a game. You know, you can play a computer game and you want to level up, you work a little harder and you level up. Or you can just toss the game and go find something else to do. You know? So it's not leveling up. It's not what he's talking about. So, but this is what some people think. So you got your C1 level. So you got your Christian level one. And that's the person who's prayed a prayer and they're good to go. They've prayed, they accepted Christ as their Savior. It was a really cool experience on a Sunday morning or maybe they were even talking to a friend and a friend helped them accept Christ. But then they... They kind of do that, and then they, they are. They're a Christian. And they're good with that. They may or may not attend church. It doesn't really matter because they, they prayed the prayer. And they, and they prayed the prayer, so therefore they're good to go. But then you got the next spiritual level, and that's the baptized Christian. This is somebody who wants to be a little bit more spiritual. And so they're like, hey, the pastor's been talking about baptism. And uh, it sounds like maybe something I should do because I don't really feel close to God right now. You know, I'm feeling like things are not really, you know, there. And, and so maybe I should get baptized because, again, pastor talks about it and it sounds like it's a good thing. It's just water and they usually warm it up for me and it's not so bad. And it's just three times in the water and, you know, I'm done. And I've had people tell me, man, you know, it's, it wasn't until I was baptized that I really felt close with God. Now, if I could just take a small tangent, well, I'm going to. <laughs> I mean, you can leave, I guess, if you don't like my tangent, but let me take a, I'm going to take a tangent. And the tangent is this. The reason why you might have felt a closeness to God because you had, you know, was baptized, it was because you actually took a step of obedience. And in obedience is where you develop a confidence in who God is and what He's doing in your life. And so it's not just a baptism. It's not just you being dunked in some water by, a, by me or somebody else. It's you that you, you obeyed. And if you keep obeying, keep doing life God's way, that confidence continues to grow because you're obeying God and you're seeing Him at work and He's confirming that and He's helping you. And It's, it's only when we... Pray a prayer and then just kind of, you know, hang out. That we're not really sure about my relationship with the Lord or not. So that's kind of Christian, you know, Christian one, level one, Christian level two. But then there's, then there's the disciple. Okay? These are the really spiritual people. These are the people who are like, oh my word, I cannot believe these people are so godly. So you have disciple one, disciple level one, because you know, you've jumped, you're out of the Christian side of things. You're into you know, the Bible study Christian. This is the Christian who 
I got to go to Bible studies. That, you know, that's, I'm going to learn some more Bible knowledge. And I'm going to know a lot about the Bible. And I'll be able to defend it. And I'll be able to be an apologetic. I love that word. For God and His Word. And, and every Bible study they can find, boy, they are there. Boom. Eating it up. Soaking it in. Then you got these other really spiritual people. They're the disciple level two, and they're the serving Christian. These are the people that are, they're actually going to sacrifice a little bit. And they're actually going to take some of their time and not just sit and learn about the Bible. They're going to take their time and they're actually going to put it into other people. <laughs> These are the ones that they, they have a little bit of a glow of a halo <laughs> around their heads. My glow is because I'm bald, but they have a little... And then, the disciple three. This is the one who uses Jesus in conversation with people, and I don't mean when they smashed her finger. This is somebody who says, I'll pray for you. These people, they don't even walk on the ground. They hover. Now, kind of joking about all that. Because unfortunately, that's kind of how, how a lot of Christians think about it. That there's these two levels of Christianity. And they're okay with you know, being a level one or a level two, you know, a C one or a C two. They feel pretty good about themselves. And, and they may even let other people know how good they feel about themselves. And then they get into further to this discipleship level. He's not referring to a special group. He's not referring to a program or a series of programs or a series of classes that you can take. So uh, I'm just kind of curious. Are you, uh, are you in any sort of discipleship ministry? Now, we call it that, but that's not another class that you take. You don't have a little certification saying, disciple, took that class. It's not, it's not a program. It's, it's not a, a class. He's talking about anyone who is chosen to take a step towards Jesus Christ and enter into a relationship. It's all of those. That's a disciple. All of it is a disciple. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. So Jesus goes on to explain in verses 26-33 what the anyone looks like. And he says this, basically, kind of summarize it, is a, a disciple, the person who is truly taking a step of relationship, entering a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is Understanding that you're a sinner, that without Christ you'll die and go to hell, and so you've given your life to Him, you've asked Him for forgiveness of your sins, He's forgiven you, He's placed His Holy Spirit in you, so now you're a child of God, and, and when you die, the Holy Spirit will take you to heaven, that's a guarantee for us. So you've made that, that decision, that relationship, but then Jesus says, so this is how you know if you've made it, that decision. You need to count the cost. 
That's what 26 through 33 is. You, you need to be able to, you need to count the cost. And, and what's kind of cool about Jesus here on this is that he's saying this, you need to, you need to consider the cost. What is it going to cost you? And it's kind of like, again, he's talking to people who haven't made the decision yet. Before you make the decision. So Jesus is saying, listen, don't enter into this relationship until you know what it means, what it's going to take. Again, not earning his love by doing good works, but receiving his love through salvation and then living out a life of good works because you're saved, because you're a child of God, because you are to look like Jesus Christ. And here's the, here's the thing. You hear a lot of people say, well, you know, Christianity, this is blind faith. Jesus never asks for our blind faith. You can't find it anywhere in Scripture. And right here, he's saying, count the cost. Any builder would do that. Any king who's going into battle, any country going into battle will count the cost. What it's going to take to defeat this enemy? What's it going to take for the builder to build whatever he's building? And so, if you're considering Jesus Christ, Jesus is giving you a challenge. And he's saying, investigate. Consider it. Understand what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, you get heaven, which is awesome. But that's not... Get this, that's not why he saved us. God saves us for his glory, to show how great he is. We get heaven as a gift. And then we live this life until we die for his glory, to make him look good to others, to let everybody know who he is and what he's like and how great he is and how much he takes care of us. Because the life he calls us to looks a little different. So he's chosen us and he expects us to be all in to him and then living all out for other people, bringing him to others. So what's the cost of discipleship? Well, the first cost comes out of verse 26, and, and I'm, I put this as uh, the cost of appearing radical. Okay, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What's he saying there? Is Jesus really saying, i got to hate people? Well, no, because Jesus says the greatest love is love for God and love for others. Which, by the way, he never said the greatest love is love for yourself. Just saying. The greatest love of all is love for... You know, you heard those songs, and they all sound so good, so wise, and yet so wrong. Love for God, love for others, and that's how we find purpose in life and contentment in life, and it's the complete opposite of what the world wants and thinks. But anyways, I digress. He's not saying we hate. He's using an Old Testament, and in, in his day that was considered Old Testament, Jewish figure of speech. And what they're saying by doing this, they focus in on the negative, but what they're saying is that our love for Jesus Christ and our obedience, because love equals obedience, obedience equals love. So our obedience to him, our love for him, would be so strong, so obvious, so uh, in the forefront of our minds, that it almost appears like we hate everybody else. That's what he's saying. It's not that we actually hate them, but we love him so much, and we want to do life his way, that we're willing to take all these relationships that are so close to us, and we, we value their opinion so much that we're willing to say, hey, listen, I know what you think of me, 
I know that you love me. I know that you're all out for me. I know you care about me. He also could be saying, family members who hate you, you know, but let's just take the positive side. So you got these family members who are going, hey, I, I'm even on board with you about being a Christian, but your decisions are, they're looking a little radical here, people. I, I get the whole going to church thing, and I'm with you on that, and I'm there when I can be. But now you're telling, you're living different. You're doing things that you're responding to people differently. You're responding to your spouse differently. You're responding to your kids differently. You're responding to your boss differently. You're responding to circumstances differently. There's something different about you, and that's radical. That's weird. I'm telling you, Christians can think that way. I've experienced it. We're, Kim and I were just talking this morning. She's got a cousin who's a missionary, and he's, right now he's over in Papua New Guinea. And um, you can look it up. It's an actual place. Cool place. You should study it. It's pretty cool. But he's over there, small island, and uh, normally he's in Pennsylvania, but right now we're over there for a year. Anyways, point is, he was dating a girl, was going to marry her, wanted to be a missionary. In other words, he, was, he believed God was calling him to be a missionary. And the girl had some health issues that would not allow her to go to the mission field. You follow? You tracking with me? He's on the mission field today. Which meant he had to break up with this girl he was going to marry. Anybody been there? Anybody ever break up with somebody that you thought you were going to marry? No, seriously, anybody been there? <laughs> Just wonder. Yeah, been there myself. Wow. I, I wasn't there, but I can only imagine that people are, what are you doing? you got this wonderful, godly girl that you want to marry, and you're giving it up because you think you should go to the mission field? Do you realize you need people to support you to be on the mission field? <laughs> but he did it. Why? Because his love for God, for Christ, for his mission, was greater than what everyone else was thinking and believing, and thinking he should do. That's Jesus' point here. I've experienced it in my own life. But an unwillingness to strive for that in our lives would cause it to look like maybe we're not truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, because that's what Jesus said a disciple will do. And again, some godly, again, so I'll just give you my real quick story. Man, i got to get going. <clears throat> so Kim and I were working at a camp. We were missionaries as well at one point. So we were missionaries at a camp in Nebraska, and uh, our family was being stressed because we had three small kids, and the camp wanted me to do more and be traveling more, and my kids already didn't know who I was, so we made a decision. And before I could find another job, I resigned my position, and we had a place to live for a month, uh, we're Kim, at Kim's parents' house because they were going to be out of state for a month. So we had a place to stay. And so I, I contacted our people who support us, told them what we were doing, asked them to support us for one more month, and then feel free to drop us because the Lord was going to provide. It's kind of how we felt. So we did. I had two people very close to me tell me, you are out of God's will, you are 
a terrible husband and a terrible father, nobody leaves one job to go to another job or to go to nothing while looking for a job. No one does that. And, and I took it, and, but I was convinced... Now, normally that would make sense, and in our lives we've done that before. We haven't left one job before. But that moment, in that time, we, for the sake of our family, we believe God was calling us to do that. So we did it. No joke. Left September 15th, October 15th, I had a job offer at a church. Because, again, God was going to work that out. Cool thing is, one of those individuals came to me after, afterwards and said, you know, because of what you did, I reevaluated re my life. And, and I've recommitted myself to the Lord and what he wants for my life. Now, again, I wasn't doing it for that person. I was doing it because for my family, for God's sake. Point is, we have to be willing to follow Christ in spite of what anyone else says. And again, it appears radical. He goes on, he says this, it, the cost, another cost, is that we're going to die to ourselves. In verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That means dying to yourself. Now, in the first century, they, they understood what he was saying there because people were being killed on the cross. So when he said, carry your cross, they pictured them literally carrying a cross, putting it in the hole, and then being hung up on it until they died. That's what they were thinking. They knew that when he said, if you follow me, there's a good chance that you're going to get hung on a cross just like I did, or will. Wasn't dead yet. They got that. And what Jesus is saying is, are you willing to do that? There are Christians today around the world. Look it up. Check it out. Christians around the world today that are being arrested, putting into work camps, being killed. Some have actually been hung on makeshift crosses. In communist countries, Muslim countries, around the world, these things are happening. It's not saying that Salvation comes through dying for Christ, but those who are followers of Christ have to be willing to die. Now, what does that mean for us today? Because we're in the United States at this point, we're not being arrested necessarily. Uh, some are being harassed and financially being challenged because of their decision to follow Christ, but uh, we don't have people dying necessarily for that. So what's it mean? It simply means this, that when you have a choice to do life God's way or your way, in spite of how you're feeling, in spite of what people are telling you that your right is, that, that you deserve this, that nobody should step on you, nobody should hurt you the way they've hurt you, and they just, they're pouring into you and they're, they think they're loving you and they're helping you and encouraging you, don't let your husband treat you that way. Don't let your wife treat you that way. Don't let your boss treat you. Don't let your coworker treat you. Don't let your neighbor treat you. You know, it's all that. And then you go, I'm going to die to what I'm feeling right now. And I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to respond to my spouse the way God wants me to respond to the spouse rather, no matter how I feel, what I think of it. Or I'm going to respond to my boss, or to my coworker, or to my neighbor, or to my kids, or my parents, whatever it is. In spite of what I'm feeling, anger, hurt, bitterness, I don't deserve this, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to die to myself. That's what that means. 
to die to ourselves. It's living a life that looks radical to others. Taking whatever abuse we might get and pursuing Christ, doing it God's way for His purposes. I just wrote down here in the side here, by the way, you guys were singing like crazy this morning. Um, I could hear you in the back, um, which sounds weird, but when you're in the back, all you guys are singing this way, but it was bouncing all over the building. It was awesome. But part of the song that you guys sang, I was singing too, but I was also praying. So anyways, you, it says, praise your name when my heart is heavy. So, so here's what a lot of people do. My heart is heavy. Lord, my heart is so heavy. Lord, help my heavy heart. Lord, help me to get over my heavy heart. Lord, I'm, I'm heavy. Lord, I'm discouraged. Lord, I'm this. Lord, I'm that. But that song says it so perfectly. In spite of my heavy heart, I'm going to praise you. Where's the, where's the focus go? Off of here, focus on God. So, Lord, Lord, yes, Lord, my heart is heavy, but I thank you. I thank you for this. I thank you for that. I thank you for whatever. The person hurt, is hurting me. I thank you for them. I mean, it's, you, you turn your focus away from yourself. Following Christ is others' focus, not self-focus. Third thing he says in verse 33, <clears throat> so that none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his possessions. So, the trifecta. People, Self, everything I have. So here's a little test for you. If you were to write down everything you own, starting on a piece of paper, you choose how big the piece of paper is. How many pieces of paper do you think you would go through if you list out everything you have? A lot? None. You read the Bible, the Bible tells you, God tells us, everything in this world is mine, God says. Because why? He created it. You wouldn't have the car you drive because it's made of metal. The metal was, I don't know, how do they make metal, Hagen? It's a long story. Whatever they do to make metal, alloys, <laughs> whatever, whatever they did to make metal, those ingredients... <laughs> were from God. Amen. They come out of the ground, right? Come out of the ground. Come out of the ground. Come out of the ground. <laughs> and it's, it's all God's. You're sitting here this morning, you're breathing. Most of you are breathing. And, then, and I think everyone's awake. You're breathing. Why? Because God's letting you take that breath of air. Your blood is pumping because God's letting your heart work. You're thinking because God's letting your brain operate. You got the clothes on your back because of finances that are coming to you somehow, hopefully legally, and that's coming from God. The job is from God. You wouldn't have a piece of paper. You wouldn't need a piece of paper because everything we have is God's. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're debating that, again, don't, please don't take this as Pastor Harold said. I'm reading the red letters. Jesus is saying this. If you think you have anything, and so therefore you can hold on to it, Jesus is saying, can't be my disciple. Because everything you have is mine. It doesn't mean like, mine! You know, it's not 
precious. You know, it's not that. It's his. Because what? We're disciples. We're apprentices. And we're learning from him. And we're doing life his way with all the stuff that he gives us. Everything you and I have, he allows us to have it. And everything we have is to be used in order to draw people to Jesus Christ, to serve other people, to help other people. We have to be willing to give up our possessions. And then lastly, he says in 34 and 35, Therefore, salt is good. But if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? In other words, salt can't re-salt itself. It is useless either for the soil or for the mineral pile. It is therefore uh, uh, thrown out. He who has ears, so here's Jesus saying, hey, hey, listen up. Everyone, eyes attention, you know, eyes looking at me. Remember that before a teacher I had. Everybody look at me, look at me. I'm not going to. The cost, the final cost, is impacting your world for Christ. Salt does a lot of things. Salt preserves things. Um, salt purifies things. And so when we think about our lives as we're living out our lives for Christ, wherever we're at, we should be preserving righteousness and goodness and, and making things better. We, sh- we should be healing, helping in the healing of people's hurt hearts and the pain that they're going through, the difficulties they're having. We should be there as followers of Christ to help that healing process. It flavors things. Does, does our, does our um, being a part of someone's life, does it add to their life? Just to let you know, I love salt. That's why I take blood pressure medicine. Um, so I can take more salt. Um, I, I, I just love it. And, and when it's not there, ask Kim. Kim's like, have you tasted it yet? And I go, <laughs> salt it. You know, it doesn't matter. She could salt it, and I'm going to salt it anyways. It's just, do you add something positive and flavorful into someone's life by you being there? Or are, are you tasteless? Are, are you not? And then the salt makes people thirsty. I love this one. I mean, this one can preach. We could spend here, you know, two weeks on this. Does your life cause others to thirst for Jesus? Are you living in such a way they're going... I gotta figure that one out. I gotta. Now, by the way, they're not, they're not, most people don't go, I'm gonna figure that one out. They're gonna go, I can't believe you. It's, I can't believe you're dealing with you know, our boss that way or our coworker. Do you know what our. Have you talked with her or him? Believe me, I've, got, I've had some people on cruise in the past that are just like, man, Lord, how do you deal with these people? You know, again, we can go into a bunch of different. I'll let the Lord kind of put it on your heart, but. Do we cause people, when they get home, at the end of the day, after making fun of us, start thinking, huh, that is kind of interesting that they responded that way. I wonder what's up with that. I wonder if that works. Well, one of the things that I love so much about Jesus Christ is that he doesn't pull punches. He talks straight. And if anybody truly understood, understand who Jesus is and what he teaches, they would just literally read his words. He's not a politician who says one thing and does another. 
He says what he says. He means what he means. And if you study it out, like he says to do, it's pretty plain. Not necessarily easy, but pretty plain. He says, anyone who comes to me must count the cost. If you're going to enter into the relationship, he's saying, hold it. Do you know what it takes to follow me? Not, you know, enter the relationship, but once you do that, do you realizing, realize you're giving your whole life to me? You're my apprentice now. And, and as I'm building the church, as I'm bringing people to myself for salvation, I'm going to be using you to do it. And so your life has to show that. You have to respond the way I would respond. Again, in spite of how we might be feeling, as Jesus demonstrated when he went to the cross, not my will, but your will be done. There's another way for this to pass from me. Let that be, but if there's not, then my will, your will be done, not my will. And oftentimes we find ourselves there, don't we? Lord, if there's any other way to deal with the situation, let me know. But until then, I'm going to do what your word tells me to do, in spite of how I'm feeling. So, I don't know what the Lord's saying to you this morning, what he's impressing on your heart and mind. Let me just give you some takeaways for you to consider. First of all, coming to Jesus, it's a, it's, I'm sorry for my misspelling, is a one-time spiritual birth. So when we come to Christ, it's a step of faith where we place our faith on him and ask him to forgive us of our sins. And when he does that, God says you're not guilty of your sins and he places Holy Spirit in us and now he adopts us into his family. It's a birth. You don't, you've never been rebirthed, right? No one's ever gone back into their mother's womb and come back out, as Jesus said, right? So spiritually speaking, you take a step of faith and you give your life to Christ. It's a one-time experience that lasts for eternity. Okay? So if you've never made that decision then you need to make that decision. Count the cost. You just heard a bunch of it this morning. But it's the best life possible because you've got God who's using you. You've got purpose in your life. You're, you're able to go into people's lives and, and God's going to use you to help them grow and to heal and to come to Christ. And it's, it's awesome. It's, it's not anything to be afraid of. It's just awesome. Many Christians haven't experienced it. But it is if we choose to do it. So if you haven't done that, then you need to do that. And if you're sitting here this morning and you said, well, I think I did it, read through these passages, these verses, and say, okay, did I really count the cost? And if you're like, maybe, you know, maybe I didn't, make today that day. August 25th, 2019. Make today the day. And say that's the day. Secondly, Jump ahead of me. Count the cost. Investigate. And then third, discipleship is following Jesus. And I think this is really important after this morning's message. It's following Jesus. Listen, he's not asking for perfection from us. But he is asking that we would have a heart that would want that. That we would want to do life God's way. Yeah, we're not perfect. We're weak. He says we're dust. And he gets that. But if we're sitting here this morning and we're defiant against what he just said, then that's an issue. That's something you've got to kind of take up with the Lord. But if you're sitting here and you're going, yes, here, let's, 
that's what I want. I'm not perfect at it, but that's what I want to be. That's what I want to do. I want to, I want to follow Christ that way. Then that's a good indication that you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ because you want to do it. And then you need to take the steps to make that happen. I mean, he's given us a church family for a reason. Be here Sunday mornings. Hear from God's word. Praise him with music. Fellowship with other Christians. He's, he's given us Bible studies to learn about who he is and a little more in-depth than we can do on a Sunday morning. He's given you opportunity to serve your church family. He's given you opportunities to share your faith with people. I'm telling you, that's the biggest step that you can ever take in, in making your own faith confident and understand that, yeah, I'm truly a follower of Christ because, man, God used me here. This is really cool. never knew I could come up with something like that. Well, you didn't. It was God giving you the words to say. Again, I'm not sure what the Lord has for you. But for those who have truly placed their faith in Christ, anyone who has done that, God wants us to be all in so that we can be all out for others in bringing him to them. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that there was a point in time where you had made a decision, actually, even before time began, you made a decision that you were going to send God the Son to this earth to die on behalf of sinful mankind. And he demonstrated your love, and he did what you called him to do. Because he was united with you, he's obviously God, and so he's united with you. He was all for that mission. Like we learned last week, and we talked about even today, that now we have that. We're, we who have placed our faith in you, we have that responsibility, that privilege, that honor to join with you and be used by you to see other people, Christians, grow closer to you in their, in their relationship, non-Christians to come into relationship with you and help them to continue to draw others to, to you. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would um, impress upon our hearts each individual as to where we need to be and what we need to be doing with this. We'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory. In Christ's name, amen.